Good evening. Good afternoon. I hope you guys are having a wonderful day. It is Sunday yet again, and it's going to be an interesting week. Going to be heading out of town, so I don't expect there to be a new episode next week or the following. You know what? I might actually do an episode on Monday, so just look out for that. Anyway, I am going to be going to Megacon in Orlando the end of March. So there's probably not going to be an episode there, but I'm going to be letting all you guys know how fun it is. I'm planning to get a picture with Carl Weathers, maybe Sam Raimi, who knows? They have a lot of people there. Heck, I want to get a picture with Steve from Blue's Clues. You know why? Because that dude was amazing. And he made mostly everyone's childhoods awesome. Anyway, we're going to go ahead and get started like we usually do in comics. So let's get started with Marvel. And today we're going to talk about Red Goblin issue number two. Now, the comic leaves off where we first left off with issue number one with Norman strapped to a chair. The Goblin King explains what exactly happened to him after he was killed. The Goblin formula apparently resurrected him and somewhat reanimated his dead cells. Not fully though. And this actually led him to looking like he's from The Walking Dead. And apparently he's been draining Norman's blood this entire time to get the goblin serum that has been in Norman's blood for a while now. Also, he begins to talk about how he wants his revenge, yada, 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 all that good villain stuff. My guess is this takes place before the Golden Glider because why he didn't call that thing in to help him, who knows? That's my guess, or they're just ignoring that whole golden glider thing. Anyway, a normie appears to be frustrated because he feels like he could have stopped everything if he had his symbiote and that he was an idiot for leaving it. Uh, while he's out with his mother and his kid brother, they're told to keep up appearances because everyone's going to try to get a reaction out of them. He uh, gets beat up in school and he tells Rascal the symbiote not to do anything because yeah, I don't think we want dead kids. Anyway, he's saved by another kid who's apparently on a scholarship from the Tony Stark Foundation. Don't know if that's going to be playing an important role later. Who knows? It's very, very interesting. Anyway, uh, after that, he begins to think about how he's going to find Norman when the kid brings up an interesting point. Basically, Predator's are like sharks where they smell blood in the water and they react and he remembers that Norman had a symbiote before which was the carnage symbiote so his blood would be easier to track with Rascal. So after uh, basically uh, tracking the blood he finds himself in the sewers and he finds Norman. He basically attacks some of the goblin army and is basically attacked by the goblin king himself. Uh, he basically is attacking goblin king is a lot stronger because now he's made a new serum and his goblin minions have the serum as well. Uh, he lets Rascal take over, which scratches the Goblin King and gets Norman out of his chair. Because of the blood loss, it looks like Spider-Man is saving him to Norman Osborn, which is kind of funny. Normie gets him out of his restraints and then the Goblin King grabs him and slams him down on the floor using some type of sonic scream to disorient him. Norman, having collected his thoughts, punches Goblin King, knocking him away. Normie tries to get Norman out of the sewer, but they're confronted by the Goblin Army and then all of them come out of nowhere and attack them. And that's how the comic ends. 
And like I said, I think it's a really cool concept to have this, I guess, legacy character as Normie Osborn having Rascal and having that relationship with a symbiote. I wonder if this is going to cross over with Spider-Man, especially, like I said, I mean, Norman has a big relationship with Spider-Man right now with him partnering up with him by being the Golden Glider. Why he hasn't summoned the suit, like I said before, I don't know. It's not really said maybe the golden glider thing takes place before all this or it takes place after with him deciding he doesn't want to do it anymore like i said i don't know the reason for it but we'll see what happens with the next issue but here we are moving on to x-men immortal issue number two and it starts off with hope and exodius fighting and destroying a bunch of spaceships which turn out to be scroll ships and they're also teaming up with the Rigelians and the Kree because they want to take over the universe, but everyone else has a problem with that. They easily take on a Super Scroll, killing it, and they basically have Sinister sh demonstrating the power of Rasputin 4 and showing off all her mutant abilities. If you guys remember, Rasputin 4 was the project that Sinister used to basically barter for his life when Emma was about to kill him. And the thing that makes her very unique is that most hybrids have only been able to have four mutant abilities or it would overload them and basically have them self-destruct. But Rasputin 4 is able to handle five. And after the demonstration, they ask if they can add another ability, which he states no, that he has reached the limit of the project's capabilities. They basically see this as he has nothing left to offer and plan to kill him. They also talk about how they don't need to resurrect people anymore, just clone them. Meanwhile, Exodius and Hope are on another planet and Exodius pushes her down and leaves her to die. Why he does this, it's not explained. Meanwhile, Sinister breaks uh, basically her genetic restraints, uh, Rasputin 4s, and tells her to track down the Morias and help reset the timeline. Meanwhile, a figure appears and shows him a book and explains that there is four clones of Sinister. Him, uh, the mother that's been in the other comics, and many more that hasn't been revealed yet. He dismisses the claim that he is a clone and that he is actually the original Sinister. And it kind of is funny because honestly, this is the same thing that's been done before with Spider-Man comics. Like, oh, is Ben Parker the real Peter Parker or is Peter Parker a clone? It's been done before. It's just funny to see the man who clones people and makes copies in the situation itself. Uh, basically, the comic ends with him and Rasputin form looking for his secret lab. And I gotta say, this comic was kind of complicated, but I'm happy that they're tying the other stuff together, especially since it's been 100 years. And we still have yet to see Storm if she survived. So that's going to be very interesting to see. I'm excited to see if she survived and what she's been doing for the past 100 years. And not to mention what the heck that Mystique and Destiny's been going on. Because after the next issue, we go from 100 years to 1,000. So, um... Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how the universe has changed. But that's it for uh, Immortal X-Men issue number two. And we're moving on to Superman Lost issue number one. And I got to say, the concept for this comic has been interesting, very interesting. Because in this comic, Superman has been lost for 20 years. And this issue, which is a 10-issue story... We'll be explaining what happens when he comes back, how he's different. And I like how in issue number one, it just explains how he disappeared. 
It doesn't like beat around the bush, which I like because sometimes a mystery is only good for one issue. You just put it in the synopsis and you just go for it. After that, it just becomes bland. Like Zeb Wells' Amazing Spider-Man. We don't know why MJ has a kid now, but here we are 20 issues in and no answer to the mystery. It's terrible, terrible stuff. Anyway, going into Superman Lost issue number one, basically we have Superman saving someone who's being chased by the police and has a car full of cash. It's revealed that she is connected to a senator and argues, and well, Clark argues with Lois to see if there was any connection since the person he saved denies that she knew anything about the money that spilled from the car when she was saved. While Lois is basically telling him this is open and shut, he has his doubts, but he gets a notification and leaves to do Superman stuff. Lois wakes up in the middle of the night, and while she's getting what looks like a cup of water, she notices that Clark is standing in the middle of the room, still in costume, just staring out into space. She jokes about how fast the mission was, but he doesn't say anything, and seamlessly just stares into space. He tells her that he's been gone for 20 years. Before she can respond, she hears a doorbell ring and it's Bruce Wayne, who says that he needs to talk to her but is shocked to see Clark there. She asks what's going on and basically why Clark is saying he's been gone for 20 years. And Batman says that something went wrong with the mission and Superman explains that they were called because the Chinese were apparently trying to get to a sub that they sent unnoticed in American territory and the Americans weren't having that at all. Kind of sounds familiar with all the air balloons and stuff like that. But anyway, a fight begins and the Justice League are called because they don't want a war to break out and wants the Justice League to kind of push everybody back to their perspective territories. It's all going well, but when they go under to get the sub, they realize that the Chinese were not here for a sub, but an alien ship with a warp drive. And this particular warp drive makes wormholes and they saw that it was unstable. Superman being the only person to go into the ship and try to dismantle the warp drive goes in. But before going in, he's basically tied around with the lasso of truth. So if anything goes wrong, Wonder Woman, Martian Manhunter, Green Lantern, everybody can kind of pull him back. But something goes wrong and the ship implodes and disappears, taking Superman with him. Bruce basically explains that they sent a Green Lantern out into space to contact the Green Lanterns to figure out where he went. Diana and the Flash are looking all over Earth. And Bruce thought he should tell Lois what was going on because she deserved to know. Anyway, uh, the comic ends with a picture of Superman knocked out in space with the warp drive. Don't know how that's going to fit into stuff, but that's how the comic ends. And I gotta say, I'm really liking the mystery here. Because Superman being gone for that many years and yet time on Earth has yet to move forward like that means that he was either in some type of dimension or the fact that he was just in another part of the universe where time worked differently, which is kind of interesting. I wonder how he got back, and I'm actually very curious to see Superman basically on his own. And we're talking about a guy who can move faster than the speed of sound, or even light at times, so for him to be that far away from any civilization is very interesting. I can't wait to see where this issue goes, and I can't wait for issue number two. Anyway, we're going to be moving on to TV shows, and we're going to talk about The Last of Us season finale. 
Now, one thing I will say is this season finale was something I was expecting for a long time because like most of everybody, I've played the game. So I knew exactly how things were going to end. And I got to say, it did not disappoint. You basically have Ellie just taking everything in. She's already knowing that their journey is about to end, that she's going to get to the hospital and thinking about everybody who they've lost along the way. Joel is basically trying to say, we don't have to do this. We can go back to Tommy, but she wants to complete this. One thing I loved is that they added the whole, hey, let me boost Ellie up here so she can lower the ladder part from the game because I was like, there's something missing. And when that appeared, I was like, there it is. That's what's been missing. Anyway, uh... I love that they added the giraffe scene. That was very, very cool in the game. And it meant so much to see that there was still other life out there that wasn't trying to kill them. And that the fact that they used an actual giraffe was pretty cool. I thought it was CGI, but apparently it wasn't. And I think it's pretty cool being able to play with a giraffe and feeding them because giraffes are pretty cool in itself. Every time I get to a zoo, I always buy some stuff to feed the giraffe. That's just me. Anyway... Joel finally explains how he got his scar and basically takes a moment to tell Ellie that she is the reason why he's okay now. That she basically saved him. That he sees her as another daughter. And it's a really nice moment. And she takes this to think that time heals all wounds, which wasn't the case. It's not time, it's people because wounds only fade and it takes another person to heal them they are attacked by the fireflies who don't know who they are and i gotta say beforehand they were talking about different puns and it was so stupid but it was still funny you know the chemistry between these two are amazing pedro pascal and bella ramsey are just incredible anyway uh once they get to the hospital i already know what's gonna come i know exactly the bloodbath that is going to happen and it happens almost exactly like the game. She tells uh, Joel that, hey, we're going to have to kill Ellie by taking the cordyceps out of her brain. Joel reacts in an angry way because he can't go through another situation where he loses another daughter. He can't go through that again. So while they're escorting him out, he attacks and just kills everybody in his path to get to Ellie. I thought we were going to see Abby, but thank God we didn't because that would have been bad. I really don't like Abby. I understand the reasoning of The Last of Us Part 2, but again, that does not make me like Abby even more. Anyway, uh, once he gets to uh, Ellie in the hospital, you see him shoot the doctor. And one thing that was actually kind of funny was the voice actress for Abby was playing one of the nurses. But like before in the game, he takes her up, he goes to the elevator. The biggest difference is there's no alarm because he basically killed everybody. He gets to the garage, he goes for the car, and then Marie stops him. And he kills her. He knows exactly what he's doing it would be against Ellie's wishes. And they basically end up driving off. And when she wakes up, he tells her a story about how bandits attacked the hospital and there was barely any survivors. Uh, they come to uh, almost Tommy's reservation where they're going back to the town. And she stops him and basically asks him to swear that everything he told her was true. And... He says, I swear, and she says, okay, and the game, and the, not the game, my bad, the show ends. And I gotta say, the ending was very fitting exactly like the game, and I got, and I just, I don't know, man. It was just very cool to see my parents' reaction, and to be like, 
that's it? And I'm there like, yeah, that's it. You're kidding me? It took us 10 years to get a sequel. Y'all getting only two years to wait for it. I find that unfair. But I loved it, you know, just seeing my parents' reaction, seeing the journey of The Last of Us was pretty cool. And while I was listening to the after show stuff, it was very cool to listen to Bella Ramsey say that that Ellie knew that Joel was lying, but she couldn't bring herself to basically think about it because it would be too horrible to kill all those people just to save her, which is something that she did not want to happen. Again, it was a really great show. I'm really, really dreading and excited for The Last of Us Season 2 just because we know what's going to happen. And God, everyone's going to get a riot. I heard that they're changing some stuff, which is good because, yeah, no one's going to like, uh, you know, who dying. I mean, why am I even beating around the bush? You know, I'm not even going to say anything. I'm actually not going to say anything because while the game has been out for two years, I don't want someone to get mad at me for spoiling something that's already true. So we're going to move on, okay? Anyway, a new TV show is coming out. Uh, It's only going to be like five minutes per episode, and it's only going to be about 10 episodes. And if you're a big Raid Shadow Legend fan, good for you. I've never played the game, never been like eager to play the game but who knows maybe they saw the success for cyberpunk arcane with league of legends and thought you know what we're gonna make our own tv show and it's gonna be good i hope that's the case because honestly in recent years animation from games into tv shows has been amazing maybe not for every single one of them but for cyberpunk and arcane top notch absolutely top notch uh, a trailer for the new Pokemon series has been released, and I gotta say it's kind of interesting to see Ash not be the main character. And of course, there's two main characters, a boy and a girl, and each of them have their different goals. And then you have the third person, of course, who's a captain and has his own Pikachu, which is called Captain Pikachu. I gotta say, I knew Pikachu was still gonna be the face of Pokemon because they were not gonna change that. And to have the main character not have a Pikachu is interesting. I wonder if this third character is going to be a temporary one like Brock was, or if they're gonna follow through with everything and just stick with them. So the Pikachu there can still be the face of Pokemon. Who knows? Maybe that Pokemon will go with one of the main characters. No idea what's going to happen there, but again, it's very weird seeing Ash not the main character. And I know the epilogue is still going on with Ash. I'm very curious to see who he ends up with. You know why? Because a lot of people are Team Misty, uh, Team... I. You know what? I don't even remember the other female characters. I grew up with Misty, so... I guess I'm Team Misty. I'm very curious to see what the last episode is going to yield. So let's hope it's a good one because I think there's only two episodes left. Anyway, that's it for TV shows. We're going to be moving on to movies. And I got to say, they released the Little Mermaid trailer and it's actually not that bad. I'm not really a big fan of the voice actor for Sebastian and the look of Scuttle kind of looks eh. But who knows? Maybe it'll grow on me. Uh, Flounder's voice actor isn't too bad. He actually kind of sounds like the original Flounder, so that's pretty cool. And the one person I was very surprised about was Melissa McCarthy. She sounds like she's going to play a good Ursula, which is good because I really hope she does well with poor, unfortunate souls. Because think about it, all the Renaissance Disney movies in the 90s always had the villain sing a fantastic song, an unforgettable song. So I really hope they didn't do the Lion King thing and cut that, like, their song, because that would suck. But anyway, I'm very curious to see how the movie does. 
Hopefully we had a trailer with uh, Melissa McCarthy uh, with more Ursula in it because I'm very curious to see how she does. And who knows, maybe I will like the movie. I already know they already made an original song for the movie, so let's give it a chance. I mean, what's the worst we can see? I mean, as long as it's not another Mulan, we'll be fine. Speaking of Mulan, they're getting a sequel. How that happened, I do not know. I mean, who watched Mulan and said, you know what? This was amazing. Let's make a sequel. No one did. Everybody, like, hated on it. But, I mean, money's got a money, right? Anyway, uh, moving on, a new trailer for a movie coming out called Chupa has a kid named Alex going to visit his extended family in Mexico. He discovers a baby chucacabra and learns that his family has histories with the creatures. And now him and his family must protect the creature from a scientist looking to get him. Uh, the only person's name I recognize in this entire movie is Christian Slater, so maybe I'll watch it, maybe I won't. It kind of looks like a by-the-numbers kids movie, so we'll see what happens. Maybe it'll be different. Maybe it'll be fun. Speaking of by-the-books, DreamWorks' new movie coming out, Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken. It really looks bad. I mean, it's so... It's terrible that they're going from a great film like Puss in Boots to what looks like a very, very generic movie. It kind of looks like a combination of Red and Ponyo, but not in the best aspects. I mean, heck, there's a little bit of Luca spread in there, but I mean, apparently in this world, the Krakens keep the world safe from the evil mermaids, which I guess is an interesting twist, but the trailer gave out so much away. It's like, yeah, we need a tax write-off, so we're just gonna make this movie. Again, it sucks after the success of Puss in Boots, because that movie was amazing. I don't know how it didn't win the Oscar, but it should have. Anyway, uh, that's it for movies. We're going to be moving on to TV shows. The Callisto Protocol is getting a new bundle released called the Contagion Bundle, which is having the base game, but a new mode called Contagion Mode, which apparently ups the difficulty by giving you stronger enemies, limited resources, and no manual saves. So we all know streamers are going to try to do this and try to beat the game this way and it includes 14 new animated ways to die and a new skin collection. It's available now for anyone wondering and I guess this will add some stuff. I mean the game itself was okay. I'm just waiting for them to release a DLC for it because honestly it was disappointing that an original game was worse than the Dead Space remake. I mean, the Dead Space remake was fantastic. It didn't have a lot of microtransactions, which is weird for an EA game. So hopefully they release a DLC, which builds upon the Callisto Protocol, because I believed in it and I still believe in it. Anyway, uh, Elder Scrolls Online has a new DLC called Scribes of Fate, and it's now available to purchase and will bring two new four-player PvE dungeons and a couple new locations to the world. There will also be apparently new stuff, new loot, and other stuff. I'm kind of surprised that Elder Scrolls is still going on. I figured that the game died a long time ago, but I mean, I guess the community is strong. Good for you. And a new gameplay trailer for Martial Law has been released, and it looks so cool. I remember playing as Martial Law on my PS2 in Tekken 3 and Tag Tourney, and I can't wait to play as him again. I mean, he looks really buff. And he still yells those iconic like, kung fu sounds. And you know what? That's actually the thing I loved about martial law. He was always like, "Haya, haya," and all that stuff. So I'm super excited to see how he does. His moveset looks smooth. So I might actually main martial law. Who knows? 
they released another gameplay trailer for Tekken 8, which was King. And you know, you know this man is iconic for wearing that tiger mask. So honestly, Tekken 8 looks like it's going to be an amazing game. And one thing about martial art that they added is nunchucks, which is interesting. I guess they're really going in for the Bruce Lee look, which is ironic because that's who this guy's character is based upon. I can't wait to play him and I can't wait to play as King. Anyway, another game coming out is Meet Your Maker, and it's basically a build-your-own-dungeon type game where you'll have people going in to see if they can get to the other side of your dungeon. You can fill your dungeon with traps and have your friends run it, and it's going to be a free game in April for uh, PlayStation players with PS Plus. Modern Warfare is getting an official Season 2, and it looks interesting. They're giving us a new map. They're giving us one in the chamber and episode two of the raid. Um, it looks like, like I said, it's going to be fun. Who knows? Maybe it'll be good. And maybe I can convince my friends to come back and play. Another game coming out is Atlas Fallen, which is a new fantasy RPG. And apparently you'll be on a hero's journey in the desert environment to unearth secrets and be the hero of Atlas. And it's funny because this was supposed to be a gameplay trailer and it lacked i don't know gameplay it was like a minute and 20 seconds and half of that was just like cinematic seriously why name something a gameplay trailer when you're not gonna have the actual gameplay and you know what's even worse it comes out in may right that's two months it comes out so we'll see how well that goes hopefully it'll be good but I mean, if you're waiting two months to release a gameplay trailer, it's it's not going to be good. Another game coming out is a psychological horror game called Stray Souls, where you play Daniel, who inherited a house from his grandmother. But I guess Grandmama has been doing stuff on the side because you get more than you bargained for when you get the house, such as cultists and other entities. This game is going to be on Steam Wishlist, and I really hope that it's a good game because honestly, Steam Wishlist games have been really, really good lately. I still can't get over the Mortician's Assistant. Fun game, really scary, and I sometimes get the demon. Sometimes. It's not as easy as it looks on streams. Anyway, Avatar Generations, which is still going on for some reason, is adding the Kingdom of Omashu, which means you'll be able to play as King Bumi, and you'll be able to play in a tournament where you get to verse people with your different teams. I'm sorry, but I want to sound excited for this, but I'm not. Avatar has such great lore, they can make an RPG or even a singular player game where it's mostly narrative driven where you're maybe playing as Aang, Korra, or even an avatar from before. Make it open world and you'll have a great game. But they're not doing that. Think about the wasted potential here. Think about how much that would sell. And make that on Unreal Engine 5? Seriously, it's right there. Make the game. But of course, that's not going to happen, but I'm still excited for the movies and the new TV show we're getting. Anyway, another game coming out that's a part of a movie is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre game, which has been revealed to be releasing in 8-18-23, with the beta test being held on May 25th. You can support the game by getting the game on Wishlist or like early beta. I'm hesitant on the game because they really haven't shown any gameplay for it. 
And apparently there's going to be more than one killer besides uh, Leatherface. You're going to be facing his family as well. So hopefully it's a good game. We really need something other than Dying Light, which is not saying that I hate Dying Light. But it's nice to have a variety. So, again, not hating on Dying Light. I like when there's a variety. So if I'm tired of playing Dying Light, before I would switch to Friday the 13th. But, yeah, we all know what happened to that game. So we hope it's good. And, heck, you know what? I hope uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space is good. Because, you know what? That seems like a fun game. Never really finished the movie. But it's very interesting. You know, taking movies from the 70s and 80s and making them into video games for nostalgia. And introduce a new generation. I'm surprised they haven't done this with freaking Nightmare on Elm Street yet. But who knows? Maybe they will. Maybe I am bragging on too early and they'll release a trailer for a new Friday the 13th game. Because that would be pretty cool. Anyway, uh, Far Cry 5 is getting a 5th anniversary update for next-gen consoles. And you know what? While 5 wasn't the best in the series, it wasn't the worst. The worst, in my opinion, was probably Primal. I don't know why we went to like 10,000 BC, but it was a bad, bad decision. Anyway, uh, Shovel Knight is getting a new DLC called Dig. And you know what? It actually is pretty cool. They're bringing in harder difficulties, more stuff. And I really like how Shovel Knight is still going strong. Because you know what? I like Shovel Knight. I like how crazy the game is. Especially since, and this is canon, Shovel Knight beat Kratos from God of War. Yep, I'm not lying, I'm not fibbing. Shovel Knight has defeated Kratos, and it's canon. So, fun fact if you didn't know about it. Anyway, that's it for uh, video games. We're gonna be moving on to nerd theories. And I gotta say, uh, my theory for this week is the fact that Disney is not only gonna reboot, uh, of course, movies into live action, but is looking to OTV shows and just rebooting them because uh, recently there's been rumors that they're rebooting Recess. And I know they're not going to do a continuation because the whole premise around Recess is the kids playing Recess. What would be cool if they did, and this is just me, if they had the kids who were on Recess be adults and having their kids go to school experience recess and do something like that but of course they're gonna want the same kids so they can get that nostalgia so who knows and i really doubt this is going to be the last i wouldn't be surprised if we got a doug reboot if we got like another zach and cody version or even a bunch of stuff the old cartoons like fish hooks lloyd in space for those of you who remember that one maybe we'll get another hercules tv show aladdin tv show i mean with disney just rebooting everything i wouldn't be surprised if they looked back from their old categories heck we might even get a disney plus cartoon that is rebooting a show from the 70s who knows i mean at this point i really think that disney is running out of ideas which sucks because there's so many good ideas out there they just need to branch out they have a bunch of youtubers coming out with these cool cartoon concepts with these new adventures that they need to trust people like that heck they need to trust people like the people who made gravity falls the owl house or amphibia because those are the people making the great stories i wouldn't mind if they hired the people who did infinity train because these guys make new cartoons and original stuff which is really cool and teaches you a lot of lessons but that's just me and that again my opinion so if disney listens and says you know what let's do that good for them anyway moving on to current events and this is a sad one lance reddick has passed and i was shocked by the news because the dude was only six years old 
And I remember watching him on stuff like The Wire, especially Fringe, since that was one of my favorite TV shows growing up. And I liked how the dude was not afraid to be in video games or YouTube skits. I mean, one of my favorite skits with him is Toys Are Me. It was really funny, it was really goofy, and he was serious the entire time. I don't know how the dude did it, but it's really sad that he's gone. And, I mean, I hope no one forgets him. Uh, one thing I loved was a lot of people on Destiny, because he played Zavala in Destiny and Destiny 2, people went to him and basically went on one knee and just honored him, which is really cool. I don't know what's going to happen with his current video game status. I don't know what's going to happen to Zavala. And I know he is in Horizon Zero Dawn. So I don't know what they're going to do with his character there. But I hope they honor him and do something good. Anyway, uh, that's it for current events. And that's it for this week's episode. Uh, like I said, I'm going to be going on a trip. So I may or may not have an episode for you guys next week. If I do, it won't be on a Sunday, but most likely a Monday. Anyway, like I said, that's it for this week's episode. Sayonara. See you later and have a good one. Goodbye.